Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. right bear down bears fans it's time for another edition of the chicago bears podcast bears banter powered by windy city gridiron and sb nation bill zimmerman with you and uh, yeah uh, a monday edition of bears banter here with the bye week here things got a little wonky you know we'll peel back the curtain here a little bit brad biggs from the chicago tribune he is our guest today looking forward to that conversation a lot going on at Hallis Hall right now, a lot of speculation. So we'll hear from Brad on kind of what what the vibe is there and, and what he feels could be happening here in about five weeks because there is a lot on the line here down the stretch. So so Brad, just, just peel back the curtain here. Brad wasn't available until Friday. We were trying to make our schedules work. So we recorded this on Friday. This is a Friday podcast. We're releasing here first thing Monday morning. So, you know, if something happened over the weekend, might be a little dated. I doubt it off a bye week, but, you know, was hoping to do two podcasts, but the way Brad's schedule worked, we're doing a special Monday edition of Bears Banter because there is no Baron balanced. Of course, JB and Lester not having a game to react to, so they are taking the Monday off. So I took the Monday slot, no post game, obviously, either. So that kind of that is is going to ride here on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel until later in the week with bears over beers and bare bones and the usual the rest of the week. So I'm going to just kind of talk about the Vikings game here for a second because, you know, it's a week old at this point. But I kind of want to talk, use that to propel into the conversation because, you know, after this Vikings game and looking at the game and kind of looking at everything, I've I've reached a, a conclusion. I've I've been there. I think I've kind of been there, but but I, I'm finally there, and and that's that's about Justin Fields. So so we're gonna talk about this. It, it's a it, it's like I'm having a hard conversation with myself, but but we're gonna have that conversation, and, and then of course we're gonna we're gonna get into Brad Biggs's conversation, and we will do podcast questions to wrap it up as we have been doing here the last couple months. So so here here I'm just gonna. Fast forward everything on the Vikings game and, and, and get to a couple things here, obviously, from the fourth quarter. Because we could talk about Luke Getze's game plan. I'll get into that a little bit here. But let's talk about Justin Fields. Because there were certainly not a lot you could evaluate on, on Justin Fields with what the game plan was. Now, why was the game plan like that? Well, to me, I look at it that the game plan was like that because what is the best way to attack a blitz? The best way to attack a blitz is to attack the space that the blitzer vacates, right? So, you know, you, you put a slant, you do some kind of quick option right there. That's why there's always that old edge. You can't blitz Tom Brady. You got to get to him with four because if you blitz 
he'll put a receiver right where you're blitzing and he will just hit you up, you know, and, and seven, eight yards and kill you every time. Like that, that's what great quarterbacks do. I believe that's what Luke Getze was wanting to do the first game. And this is going to come across like I'm pro Luke Getze. I'm not. So, so just listen to the whole thing here. You know, that's how he wanted to do it the first game. And Justin did not play well, right? That first half against the Vikings previously, Justin had a bad game. All of us will admit it. He was turning the ball over. He wasn't seeing the field. We could sit there and say Luke Getze did him no favors, keeping him in the pocket against a blitzing team. But I believe, I believe, I'm not certain, that Getze was keeping him in the pocket to keep the plays quick. He didn't want to roll him out and do things. That's what I would have done. I would have rolled him out and moved the pocket around and done some other things. But he wanted Justin to do a quick read. Where's the blitz coming from? Put the ball there. And Justin wasn't doing that well. That's what I believe it was trying to be accomplished against the Vikings in the first game. Luke Getze decided that that wasn't going to work. So he wanted Justin Fields to get the ball out away from the blitzes where there wouldn't be any confusion with coverages or where the blitz is coming from or anything like that. Get the ball out and try and keep the game quick so Justin doesn't get sacked and, and get the ball out to the sidelines. That, that seemed to be what the game plan was. So it's going to be a lot of screens. It's going to be a lot of quick passes, little, you know, little outs and, and, and whatnot. That was the game plan. I don't like the game plan. And if that's going to be a part of the game plan, that doesn't have to be the entire game plan. So, so Luke Getze definitely has some problems. Now, I tweeted at that second fumble that that fumble is going to lead to the end of Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears. And then Justin Fields comes back, hits DJ Moore, Bears win the game. And the fans just came flooding into my mentions to hang an L on me. And, and here's the truth of the matter. I, I've been thinking about it. And this isn't me being stubborn. Because I, I, I think, I hope that I have had enough of a track record at this point to say that I am willing to admit when I am wrong. I am not some football guru that knows everything before it happens. I gave you Jalen Carter info that I thought the Bears were going to draft him. I picked up on a smoke screen, got duped, set out bad info. Admitted that it was bad info afterwards. I was a big Matt Nagy supporter, but I came around and said, no, this isn't working. Matt Nagy needs to go. So I like, you know, and there's other things too, but I will change my opinion. I will admit when I'm wrong. At least I think I do a pretty good job of that. That being said, that fumble I do think, in essence, still leads to the end of Justin Fields in Chicago. And it's not just the fumble, but it's trusting Justin Fields and being able to rely on Justin Fields. And I get it. Big play to DJ Moore. I love that he did that. Like I said, I love it for him. I love it for the team. I love how much accountability he took in the locker room and that the team supported him. That was all great. But when we're still looking at what Justin Fields did there in the last few minutes. He did fumble. And if you look at the play before the, the pass to DJ Moore, the, the, in essence, the game-winning completion, if we want to call it that, that play before, there were two plays before where Fields held onto the ball. I think it was literally for eight and nine seconds. An obscenely long amount of time on back-to-back -back plays. The second play, the one, the first play, not as much, but the second play where he held onto the ball, Darnell Mooney was wide open. I mean, wide open. 
He, you know, he's coming across the field. His arm is raised. He is waving at Justin Fields. There is no one within at least five yards of him, maybe more. He is incredibly open. Not only that, EQ St. Brown running an, uh, an out. They actually showed how open he was on the on the broadcast. And then Troy Aikman goes, oh, well, that was across the field. And it was. It was across the field from where Justin Fields rolled out once he felt a little pressure. But he was already there when Justin Fields was still in the pocket. And Justin Fields missed him. These two got, and maybe he was just staring at DJ Moore, who was not open. But these two guys are so wide open. To me, and if you want to say I'm a, a negative bastard, you, you go right ahead. To me, that play is almost as damning as the next play is a positive for Justin. A and that's the Justin Fields roller coaster. And here's the thing, we're still there. It's, it's December now, and we're still there. And we and look, Justin's always going to be a little up and down. That's his play style. That that's fine, but in in that situation when we're having you know clutch plays that need to decide games, he fumbled. Again, not all the plays were bad, but the plays that were bad were bad. He fumbled the game away, and luckily the defense stepped up and he got a second opportunity. He missed. And I understand there's people that say, oh, yeah, but he hit, doesn't matter because he hit the play anyway. Yes, it doesn't matter here, but it could have ended differently. You can make a strong argument that that was intentional grounding that Justin Fields did on the play I'm talking about, where he had two guys beyond open, didn't see them somehow, held on to the football, had to scramble, almost got sacked, threw the ball away. You can make the argument it's intentional grounding. And then at that point, with the runoff, who knows what would have happened. So you, you can't sit here and just hang, hang your hat and go, Fields has proved it. He made the completion to DJ Moore. He's the guy. Unfortunately for me, this has honestly, you know, and, and if you listen to my postgame show with, with, with Q, I was on the fence. Like, I'm like, I don't know how to evaluate it. And then I saw the all 22 and saw some of the issues and, you know, and, and kind of thought about while I don't like Luke Getze, why Luke Getze had the game plan he did. And it just, to me, it's coming together to the point we got five games remaining and, and we want to sit there and say, well, we don't know if Justin Fields is the guy. Why don't we know that Justin Fields isn't the guy? Because he hasn't stacked enough good games in a row. He's, he's done it a few times. But he hasn't stacked enough good games in a row where we're like, yes, this is the guy. That's what we needed. It's December. We haven't gotten it. Want to say it's an incomplete grade? Okay. But unfortunately, an incomplete grade is a failing grade. And I don't mean Justin Fields is a failed NFL quarterback. I mean pass-fail this was Justin Fields' grade for the year. Pass, fail. Pass, he stays the Bears quarterback. Fail, the Bears move on from Justin Fields. To me, an incomplete is the same as a fail. And I get it. Oh, the Broncos game. Oh, the Washington game. But he got hurt. But, but here's the thing. And, and even I tweeted out his numbers after those first three games. Even if you eliminate those first three games where he was bad, but there were a lot of other things going on, you still see uneven performances. And then I also hear the, oh, but he was injured. Well, yeah, but that's the problem. That's part of the evaluation. 
is that Justin Fields hasn't been able to stay healthy because he takes too many hits, because he holds on to the ball too long. Everything's connected. Oh, well, the offensive line has gotten better. Well, I, I understand that, but this is, this is the offensive line. There's going to be injuries to the offensive line. We're seeing this offensive line right now. It's pretty darn good. But there were injuries. Tevin Jenkins was hurt. Braxton Jones was hurt. You know, Nate Davis missed time. This happens with offensive lines every year. Yes, we could use some better depth on this offensive line, but not having all five guys is a thing. And we can't have this as we're missing a starter or two. The offensive line is doomed. Justin Fields is going to be injured. That, that can't be the result. So we're in December. I'm seeing uneven play. And we're at a point where there's not enough time for me to say Justin Fields is going to be the guy. So that's where I'm at. And I, I can see that the fans are kind of getting to a head here with, with Fields and, and what this plan is going to be. And, and I think this Panthers pick is really the entire situation. It, it really is. And it's kind of independent of how Justin Fields performs. And I know I had the, the tweet and I mentioned it on this podcast, you know, months ago from an NFL analyst telling me that if Justin, if the Bears have the number one pick, there's literally nothing that Justin Fields can do for the Bears not to take a quarterback. And we're still there. And I know a lot of fans were pissed about that. Well, what if he plays like an MVP and all this? Well, the bottom line is he hasn't. He's been uneven. So when we think about that, and like I said, that's a smart football guy. Trust me, you all like him. I see a lot of you retweet his stuff, so you like him, okay? But when I hear that from, from this person and I see Justin Fields continuing to play this way, it, it just comes to the conclusion, right? It's just there. If, they, if that pick didn't exist or if the Panthers were better, they would, the entire conversation would be different. The conversation would be Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy versus Justin Fields. That's a totally different ballgame. And, and, and I, I am seeing this whole thing about, well, Fields is a pretty good QB, and this next QB could be a bust, and, and, and so that's good enough for me, so we should keep Fields. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to sound like an ass. And, and you see some fans and some content creators that are just like, Go be the Eagles and the Niners and stack your team around Justin Fields. And, and, you know, we don't need the best quarterback. No. All right. I'm just going to say this. You don't get it. If that's your stance, you don't get it. If your stance is, I still believe Justin Fields is the guy and can be a top eight quarterback in the NFL, that, that's fine then you're a believer in Justin Fields' skills, and that's the ultimate goal at the quarterback position. But if you think we can stack a team like the Eagles or the Niners and then still be able to have Justin Fields, no, you don't get the NFL. Let me explain. Why are the 49ers so stacked for Brock Purdy? Because Brock Purdy makes no money. He was the last pick of the draft. He makes a few hundred thousand dollars a year. He's probably, you know, when they do the NFL, when they do the salaries for the NFL, it's the top 51 salaries. Purdy may not even be in the top 51. 
he makes that little money. He's basically not even on their salary cap. That is Brock Purdy. Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. He was making a million dollars a year, probably, thereabouts. Now he's got the big contract extension. But that doesn't kick in yet. That kicks in next year. The Eagles, because they've paid Jalen Hurts, are now going to start bleeding some players. They're still loaded because they've loaded around rookie contract Jalen Hurts. But that's going to start changing, and you're going to start seeing the talent bleed off. Now, we'll see how good Howie Roseman is at drafting and reloading that talent, but that's not a load up around Justin Fields kind of a thing. That's Howie Roseman continuing to do well in the draft. And maybe Ryan Poles can do that. Maybe he can't. We don't know. You know, he's had some hits and misses here. So if you're sitting here going, we can build up a juggernaut around Justin Fields and be like the Niners and the Eagles. No, that's a rookie contract kind of thing. Justin Fields is entering year four next year. It's the end of the rookie contract. Even the the, the fifth-year option jumps significantly. And if they don't pick up the fifth-year option, and, and, you know, and it's a Daniel Jones situation, like you're gonna have to pay Justin Fields probably $50 million a year. All right. You may not have to pay him above Justin Herbert and you know Joe Burrow and that that elite level right now. But you're going to have to pay him well over 45. I mean, you can pay him more than Daniel Jones. Look at Daniel Jones's contract. So you're still paying Justin Fields. You don't get to say, well, Fields is pretty good. So let's keep him and see where we can go. Because you're still getting it yet. All right, 10 million less than some of the elite guys. But you're still eating up a huge chunk of your salary cap for Justin Fields. So if you think... If you've got enough PTSD as a Bears fan, because they can never get the quarterback right, that you think Justin Fields being pretty good is good enough, then that's just the Bears damaging you. That doesn't work in the NFL. Like, look at the Super Bowls from the last 20 years. How many Super Bowls were won? Forget showed up at the Super Bowl. I don't care. The goal here is not to get to the Super Bowl. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. What quarterbacks have won Super Bowls over the last 20 years since we can say definitively this is now a passing league? What quarterbacks have won that were not top 10? Peyton Manning was a top 10 quarterback. Tom Brady was a top 10 quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger, top 10. Eli Manning may have been closer to 10 than he was to one, but Eli Manning was a top 10 quarterback. Russell Wilson is a top 10 quarterback. Like, that's what wins Super Bowls. Not pretty good quarterback. Nick Foles, not a top 10 quarterback, won a Super Bowl. On the heels of Carson Wentz being an MVP candidate for 75% of the season. And Nick Foles went on a heater. So it doesn't mean you can have no success if you don't have that quarterback. But again, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles on the heels of Carson Wentz, kind of weird, kind of like the Jeff Hostetler off of Phil Simms for the Giants in 1990. If Jeff Hostetler started that whole year, the Giants wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl. But Phil Simms got them most of the way, and Hostetler was able to pilot the ship. If Nick Foles played that the whole season, they wouldn't have been in that position. But Carson Wentz was so good at that point that Nick Foles was able to prop up the team the rest of the way. 
the only quarterback other than the weird Wentz Foles thing that was not a top 10 quarterback. He was probably closer than you think because he had a three or four year stretch where he was pretty good. He wasn't top 10. It was Joe Flacco. That Ravens team, that's really the only one in the last 20 years that didn't have Drew Brees at quarterback and that level of quarterback that won Super Bowls. Yes, Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl. There are, you know, quarterbacks like that over the last 20 years. Rex Grossman got to a Super Bowl, but they didn't win because most of the time in the playoffs, the better quarterback wins and the Bears never have the better quarterback, basically. So when you're in this situation of trying to figure out the quarterback, you need to go for the, you need to go for broke. You need to go for gold. You can't settle. You can't settle at the quarterback position. And that's what a lot of Bears fans wanted to do. And I think it's because it's PTSD over never getting a quarterback. And now you got a pretty good one. And it's a weird, complicated situation. Because teams with the number one pick don't have a quarterback as good as Justin Fields usually. And it's because of a great move from Ryan Poles last year with the Carolina Panthers trade. So now you're in a situation where you got a pretty good quarterback but if we're being honest with ourselves, and I think most of us would agree that Justin Fields is not currently a top 10 quarterback and most likely will never be on that level of being a top 10 quarterback. Maybe 12, maybe he can get close, 13. You know, he's probably 19, 20 right now. You know, a better coach could probably get him to 14 or 15, not too hard, but getting into that top 10 range you know, to get into that group with Mahomes and Hertz and Herbert and, and Dak and, and Lamar and, and, and that group, you know, there's a couple openings right now in that top 10. It's a little murky at the bottom, but you know what I mean by a top 10 quarterback? I don't mean why well, you can make an argument this year that Jared Goff has been a top 10 quarterback. You know what I mean? Top 10, really solid, win with. Maybe in essence, I know this sounds weird to say, maybe in essence some years there's only eight top 10 quarterbacks, right? Like we're in transition here. We've lost, you know, Roethlisberger's retired. Russ got cooked. Brady retired. You know, Peyton retired a few years ago. Drew Brees retired. We had, you know, we had this run of 10 years, 12 years with this same group of quarterbacks. They were elite quarterbacks and they were all taking turns winning Super Bowls. Seattle got one. Brady obviously got a bunch, even with two teams. Mahomes got got his, you know, that, that that's what we're seeing with this, this, this elite group. And now you have, you know, Mahomes kind of carries the, you know, bridges the two gaps. And now you've got this new group with Mahomes and, and Justin Herbert and this group. And this is the group now that's going to start winning Super Bowls. You know, th this group of quarterbacks, this elite group. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to have one more year at it, apparently. But, you know, and then he's gone. We're seeing the change in the guard. Russell Wilson, we know, doesn't have too much time left and he's gone. It's a new generation of quarterbacks. And we're going to see who is going to fill and become those elite quarterbacks of this next generation. Because that's what's coming right now. And Justin Fields looks like he's going to just miss. And I think if Justin Fields was in a better situation to start, he would have become an elite quarterback. Maybe not an elite quarterback, but much better than he is now. He got screwed. And I've never quite believed enough in how much the situation matters for the rookie quarterback. And it's probably because it's my Chicago Bears PTSD. Mitch Trubisky 
wasn't going to become a guy. He didn't lose out because of the situation. Mitch Trubisky lost out because he didn't have the requisite skills to be an elite quarterback. That's it. End of story. He wasn't ruined by the Bears, in my opinion. Jay Cutler had a lot of different offensive coordinators. The Bears didn't do him any favors, but Jay Cutler had a ceiling. So while the Bear, he maybe could have been a little better in a better situation, he still had Brandon Marshall and Martellus Bennett and Matt Forte. He, he had some pieces around him. So Jay Cutler also kind of just didn't have it. Justin Fields, I think, is different. Justin Fields, like you look at Matt Nagy in that last year, Fields was playing pretty good down the stretch. I think we forget how much improvement he was showing throughout that year. And then something happened and Luke Getze's offense and it's way we're going to short and quick and it, it, it just became a mess. So Fields had to go back-to-back years with new offenses, learning new personnel. His 2022 roster around him was embarrassingly pathetic by it intentionally, I think Ryan Pohl set out to make Justin Fields a sacrificial lamb, and then suddenly he's like, oh, this guy's pretty good. He's better than I thought he was. I don't think Ryan Poles was all in on Justin Fields when he took the job. I think he probably assumed he was going to take a quarterback, and then Justin Fields made it interesting for him. And, and it's still, though, we've still reached the same conclusion. And the same conclusion is, if the Bears have the number one pick, that you you just have a natural conclusion here. And that natural conclusion is to move on. And as we wrap up here, before we get to Brad Biggs, we'll wrap up with first pick survivor because we have reached a point where there are now just three teams remaining. And again, if you haven't listened to this all year, I've brought it up multiple times. In my belief, the first pick is going to have less than four wins. So if you get to your fourth win, you're eliminated from first pick survivor. And there are now just three teams remaining. They are the Cardinals, the Patriots, and of course, the Carolina Panthers, who sit with one win, those other two teams with two wins. When when you look at the statistical probabilities of everything, in essence, the Bears have virtually a 100% chance to get a top three pick. because It's like 99.1% now. For the top three pick. The Panthers would have to get to four wins. And then and then again, even if the Bears lose out at, at four wins and the Panthers are at four wins, the Bears would still have a top three pick because they have a, a worse strength of schedule. So it would be at a point where they get to four wins and someone else at four wins right now loses out and has a worse strength of schedule than the Panthers and there's not that many. Like, so then you sit there and go, the Panthers have to get to five wins. They have to go four and two down the stretch. It's not going to happen. So the Panthers have basically virtually guaranteed a top three pick. So the worst case scenario, for some of you that might think this is the best case scenario, but the worst case scenario from a draft capital perspective is the Bears finish with the third pick. They draft Marvin Harrison Jr. and they keep Justin Fields. That's the worst case scenario here for the Chicago Bears. Top two pick is now at a 90% likelihood. Top two pick, 90% likelihood. Because again, like I said, for the Panthers to get to the, the third pick, forget getting outside the top three. We just explained, impossible. The third pick, if the Panthers go two and four, and again, they're one and 10, they go two and four down the stretch, that means the Patriots and the Giants 
have to lose out for them to end up with the third pick. So it's now a 90% likelihood. That is only 10% likely that that is going to happen. So it is more likely that maybe one of those teams loses out. But if just if the Giants just notch one more win, the Patriots just notch one more win, that the Panthers would then have the second pick. So the Panthers should keep the tiebreaker against both the, the Cardinals and the Patriots. So for, to have the number one pick, tie goes to Carolina. So we are at a point where I think it's about a 65, 70% likelihood that they have the number one pick, a 90% likelihood that they have a top two pick, and a 99% likelihood that they have the top three pick. Now, again, I'm recording this on Friday. This was released Monday. So, you know, we don't have, as the point of this recording, at the time of this recording, don't have the results that happened this weekend. But I'm going to assume that all three teams lose this weekend you know the best chance i think is the patriots with the chargers but i expect the chargers to win so i'm assume all lose now the patriots won then we're already talking about the percentages i'm talking about are even stronger for a top two pick probably jumps to 93 94 percent if one of those teams if the cardinals or the patriots win a game there you know now again if the panthers win then the numbers drop down but again i'm expecting the panthers to lose to tampa Cardinals lose, Patriots lose, and we're in the same kind of situation, but just with less games to play. So the Panthers, again, one step closer to the number one pick. And when you have the number one pick and you have Caleb Williams and Drake May and you have this kind of capital, you take a quarterback and you trade Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields has shown enough that there's going to be a coach somewhere that needs to improve their, their quarterback situation. The Raiders is one that I think is interesting. And the Atlanta Falcons, which everyone has talked about, is interesting. And I think it would take a second-round pick, and I think you get Justin Fields. And then Ryan Poles replaces his second-round pick that he traded away for Montez Sweat, so you still have a second-round pick. And and if you kind of think about it that way, if you trade Justin Fields for a two and it's kind of in the ballpark where the Bears finished, like the Atlanta Falcons, the Raiders, you know, they're going to have a similar record, maybe a little better. Then you traded, in essence, Justin Fields for Montez Sweat. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. So that's where we are with this team. They're on the cusp, I believe, of starting fresh at the quarterback position. But again, that does not mean they are restarting the rebuild. It means they are extending this window to have a loaded roster. That's what you want, right? You, If you said it, I want the loaded roster around fields. You don't get that. You get the loaded roster around Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams. That's what you get because they're going to have $100 million. And there's a, an article I just did. I did six free agents that the Chicago Bears should sign. And I put Chris Jones on there at $31 million a year. Opposite, not opposite because he's an interior, but with Montez Sweat making $25 million a year. I paid Bryce Huff, the other edge from the Jets, million a year. That's right. I have 31 from Chris Jones, 25 from Sweat. That's $56 million. Another 16 for Huff. That's, you know, $72 million. 7 million for Walker is $79 million. That's what I have the Chicago Bears investing into their defensive line. And they can do that, and they can still franchise tag Jalen Johnson. 
and they can go sign again. This is the article on Windy City Gridiron. They can go sign Geno Stone to replace Eddie Jackson, get him for basically half the cost of Eddie Jackson and probably equal cost. You've completed your defense, you're loaded on defense. Then you can still turn around, sign someone like Marquise Brown, who I think is probably going to be about $12, $13 million a year. Sign Connor Williams, the Dolphins center, who I think is going to be there $12, $13 million a year. You could sign a good backup tight end behind Cole Komet. You could go out and then draft a quarterback, draft another wide receiver, and then you can have a top three wide receiver of like DJ Moore, Marquise Brown, and uh, and neighbors from LSU, something like that. And you can really have a, a prime position, a good offensive line for a rookie quarterback to succeed. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you do the Eagles or do the 49ers system. That's how you copy what they did. It is not with Justin Fields. It is with a rookie quarterback. So again, that's the situation. I've been talking a long time, but like I said, I needed to get this off my chest. It was kind of cathartic to kind of do the, the Bears need to move on from Justin Fields. I'm there. I've reached that point. I didn't want to reach that point. How many times did I say every week, hey, there's some hope with Justin or, oh, maybe, uh, you know, we're just there. It's December. The writing is on the wall. That pick, again, if things change, the Panthers go on a heater, Justin Fields plays pretty well. The Bears don't have a top two pick. Things can change. But if they have a top two pick, it, 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 the decision has to be made. It is time to move on from Justin Fields. Not something I like to say. But we're going to talk to Brad Biggs. I'm going to talk to him about that. I'll talk about Eberflus, Kevin Warren, Ryan Poles, Jim Harbaugh. We'll get into it all with Brad Biggs. He's next. Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited to do this guest. He's been nice enough to come on every year the last few years. He is the big dog on the Chicago Bears beat. He's been doing it for over 20 years with the Chicago Tribune. He is Brad Biggs, and he joins me now. Brad, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Bill? I'm I'm doing okay, and I'm really excited you agreed to do this, especially around this time of the year, because, you know, we, the Bears have five games left, and, and most fans are starting to pivot to 2024. I think there is about uh, 1% that is dreaming of the Bears running the table here after that Vikings game and making a playoff push. But I think most are looking ahead. 
And if I'm going to do that, I want to kind of talk about job securities and potentially what may be coming down the pipeline here in about five, six weeks. And I think to do that, I have to start with Kevin Warren and maybe see what kind of semblance of an idea you have in terms of what how his role is going to be you know, evaluating this season, because I think that's the wild card here for everyone is we just don't know is, is he have, you know, final say, or is it, is it just suggestions to George? Cause I know a lot of people didn't like the George Ted combo and how they evaluated football ops and are hoping a lot, you know, a lot more for Kevin Warren's involvement there, which he certainly seems to be from a visual perspective here over the last eight months. So for, for you on, on this, is this is this going to be Kevin Warren's kind of baby this offseason to evaluate Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus? I, I'm not saying he's evaluating, you know, if, if Kevin Jenkins should be at a contract extension, I, but in terms of evaluating the top of football operations, is that is that his focal point right now? Yeah, it's certainly, certainly it's going to be something he'll have a, a heavy hand in. There's no question about it. I don't think uh, the president, CEO – fires uh, GMs and head coaches without getting the blessing of ownership, right? Like those guys report to Kevin Warren, okay? So he's in charge, but that you could get yourself in trouble in a hurry if you start making unilateral decisions at the top of the organization without bouncing them off of ownership. So, yeah, I, th- I think everybody's kind of curious um, what – Kevin's involvement will be what he'll have to say at the end of the season and sort of what direction that takes the bears in, because that's the biggest and first question you'll have for this team at the end of the season is okay. Now what? Um, 2024 is here. There's some pivotal decisions. Um, the GM and coach were hired a year before Kevin was hired. So where do they go uh, from now? Uh, I don't think Kevin was in on hiring and firings in Minnesota when he was with the Vikings. Uh, so this will be a new uh, experience for him, maybe an expanded uh, role on football. On the football side, the Vikings had a pretty clear delineation between football operations and business side, and, and he was on the business side. But He's been involved in the National Football League for a mighty long time and uh, know, has a, a deep network of people throughout the league. So um, I don't think the Bears will be asking him to do something that he's not uh, prepared to do. Yeah, and I agree. I agree with that. And in my estimation, because I know there's I've seen a spattering of people that feel, well, he's here to build the stadium. And and certainly that that that's going to well, be a that, big that, That's why he was hired, though. Like, I mean, seriously, that like that's that's why he was hired in a perfect world. Um, he's not worried about his football operations at, at the end of this season. I mean, that to me, that was the number one reason why uh, he was hired. Uh, but he was given charge of all this though. And um, any stadium stuff will have to take a back seat at this time of year and next month uh, as they try to figure out what direction, I mean, who knows? Maybe they keep everybody. I don't know. Maybe everybody's gone, uh, but Kevin's going to have to have some involvement. No question about it in whatever decision they choose. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that, and that's kind of where I was getting at was that, you know, while he was, you know, the, 
the stadium was going to be a big part of his his job title in essence here it, it wasn't you're not leaving to me you're not leaving the big 10 commissionership to build a stadium you're leaving the big 10 to preside over you know one of the premier franchises in the nfl and build a stadium as, as part of it so as i kind of trickle down through here let me ask you about ryan poles because i think you know over the last month here you know if people were questioning if ryan poles should or shouldn't return pretty much everything's been positive i i think for ryan poles over the past month i think montez sweat you know he made a bold move and he's made an impact already Javon Dexter's improving, Tyreek Stevenson's improving, Darnell Wright looks the part. So, so I think in terms of talent evaluation, Ryan Poles looks pretty good. And, and I don't know if his seat is warm or not. I, I think that's the, you know a question we won't get to answer for another five weeks. But my opinion, and you tell me if you disagree, it, as an organization, I have a hard time imagining that you give the green light to make a move for Montez Sweat and pay him what you need to pay him if you're not cons- if you don't really think the GM is the right guy for the job. Yeah, I mean that that's certainly one way to look at it. I just I think that um, based on what I've seen and heard, I think Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles have a strong working relationship that that they're probably still developing, right? Like, you know, Kevin hasn't been in the building for all that long, he was hired last January, but he didn't start till April, right? April, um, yeah. So I, I think they've, I think they've probably hit it off to start with, and um, I mean, it gets you start whacking GMs and coaches after two years, and you, you know, like I get questions all the time, Bill. Why don't they fire a coach in season? And well, how's that working out for Mark Davis? Like he's got a, right. he's got a lot of. He's got a lot of experience to doing that. How's that working out for David Tepper? Like, what what do you get out of that? Um, so I would think that Poles is okay, um, and more than okay. I'd, I'd think that Poles is on um, solid ground right now with uh, with Kevin Warren, with George McCaskey. Listen, when when Poles was hired, if you go back and you kind of read between the lines of what everybody said, you know, it was clear that the vision he sold the organization at the time, which Kevin wasn't a part of it, but the vision he sold George and Ted and, you know, Bill Polian and whoever else is involved was that it, they were going to have to be very methodical about doing this the right way. Well, doing this the right way doesn't happen in a season it doesn't happen in a year and a half, um, and, and nobody wants to remember that or admit that. And there were the people who thought that when Rodgers left the NFC North, that it was there for the Bears to take over for good. Um, but without really looking back on what they had on the roster last season and how they played, so he sold a vision. I, I believe anyway, again, reading between the lines of like, Hey, this is going to, it's going to take time to do this the right way. Well, where are we at in terms of a timeline? We're, we're like 22, 23 months in. So um, I, I think, I I think it would be way premature um, to talk about where he's at now. Should Kevin Warren ask him, um, what their evaluation of CJ Stroud was. Yeah. I, if I'm Kevin, I want to know, Hey, what'd you guys have on Stroud? Um, was there consideration of drafting him? Um, 
there's things you want to know, but uh, I think he's, I think he's probably positioned pretty well right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, for me, I always think, you know, you need to give a, a, a GM three off seasons before you can really evaluate what they've done. And when you look at what he's going to have in this third off season with draft capital and more cap space, he, he's going to have done a, a really solid job. It looks like in overhauling this roster and getting a lot of good pieces on there. And so with those pieces, let, let me ask you then, I think the next evaluation then becomes Matt Eberflus, right? And, and how he's done. And I think there's, there's no question that Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, has really come on the last two months. He's got this defense playing really well. Yes, the defense still, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, when you get the really good quarterback in there, I, as we know, the cover two defense can be a little less effective. But beyond that, I mean, phenomenal against the Vikings, phenomenal for 56 minutes against the Lions, the Panthers, you know, the defense is playing really well. So when you're evaluating Matt Eberflus, how do you separate Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, who looks the part, versus Matt Eberflus, the head coach, which I think, you know, you can certainly find some some warts on that resume. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough evaluation right now. To me, the, the, the more important thing to do really is when you talk about separating, I, and this is just the way I look at it, and, and I, I understand what you're saying. I look at it as you have to take uh 2022 and completely separated from 2023 like you just look at the roster that Iberflus and the assistants had last year and I think you understand that they were in a no-win situation and what happened well they, they didn't win they went three and 14 um and I and I think you is in and, and three and 14 is always going to be on his record his resume like you, you know that's his okay but to evaluate him in terms of effectiveness as a head coach with the talent that he had last year. I, I don't know, man, Bill Parcells in his primes, probably uh, not going to win many games uh, with, with that outfit. And so I look at it as di- kind of dividing the, the one season from the next and looking at it. And, and it's awful hard to judge a guy on one year. Um, we'd be having a much different conversation about this football team had it not uh, blown the late leads against uh, Detroit and Denver. Like be six then, and six. Yeah. I mean, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be talking about, you know, wild card and um, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, I think he is going to have to answer some tough questions. If he stays, I don't, I don't know what direction it's going to go in. And there's going to be a lot of factors that play into this is, is, and I'm just throwing this out as a possibility bill, but if they're going to draft a quarterback in round one, and I believe that will happen, is there going to be a a feeling that within the building that, and maybe we need an offensive head coach. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just throwing it out as a, as a possibility. And there, there's a lot of other questions we, we could be on until mid-afternoon kicking around the, the different possibilities that they might consider. Um, but, yeah, defensively they've gotten better, um, certainly better than they were with Alan Williams. There's some creativity, you know, talking to scouts that I trust. Um, they, you could see a clear plan from week to week, right? And it's not – and it's obviously opponent-based, but you could see, okay – 
here's what the goal of the coaching staff was. Here, here's how they're trying to uh, handicap the opponent. Um, and I think you've seen some player development uh, on that side. They, they still need pieces. They need another edge rusher. They need uh, Javon Dexter and Zach Pickens to continue to improve, or they need help at that position. Um, but they've, um, they've made some strides, and I'm curious to see how they play uh, down the stretch. Like they haven't faced world beaters on offense here lately, but you don't get to pick your schedule. You got to play who's on it this coming weekend, and um, they've done well. Yeah, no. The, some of these young players are, are are really coming on, and and I think that's what makes this, you know, like and, and all the points you pointed out about how complicated this situation is going to be. And I can't come up with a comparable situation where you have, you know, a quarterback who looks, you know, the part sometimes certainly still needs to develop, but sitting there with potentially a number one pick, and and how do you decipher that? And a and a head coach who's done certain things well, but. You know, overall, there's 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 been some question marks, and you know, obviously the you know the start of the season was so poor here that four and four over their last eight, which is I think kind of was the hope this season, right? That they could kind of push to be a 500 team, not make yeah. the playoffs necessarily, but put and, and that's who they've been now the last. But you know, it was just buried because of that start. So, do you think when it comes down to it, you know, when you're evaluating Matt Eberflus? and trying to look at this last stretch here. Is it, you know, if they go three and two and maybe finish the year beating the Packers or, or something like that, is is that potentially enough to seven and 10 and, and, and whether that'd be, that'd be, you know, uh, six and five, whatever it is, or seven and six over their last 13 games. Is it, could it just come down to a simple, they're winning games with Matt Eberflus. So let's move it forward. I think it, I think it's probably got to go a little bit deeper than that. I th- I think it. I think it's probably got to involve the the eye test a little bit, right? Like kind of the feel for it. Um, do you do you feel like there's momentum that your coaching staff has built up with the roster? I, the Packers will be important for the McCaskey family. There's no question <laughs> about that. But you, you know, like, come on, you, you beat the Arizona Cardinals on Christmas Eve. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not putting a whole lot of um, that's how I feel. Yeah. What I'm doing moving forward on that, the the Falcons, like they're, that's a, that's a uh, team that's gotten better in the last year that like at no clue what they're doing at quarterback. Right. Like it's just, they're, they're out there in no man's land with the other teams that don't have uh, a quarterback and the the Browns with whoever in the world they're going to play. So I just, I don't think you could put, too much into it but it's a combination of record and feel and you know like I think you need to have a a real and this is hard to do man you need to have a real sober conversation about your roster where's the roster now where was it at the start of the year like has it gotten better has has there been enough improvement and and those are those are tough questions to have because when you're asked to like honestly evaluate your own players man i mean that that's really really tricky as jerry angelo used to say it's really easy for me bill to tell you about all the crap that's in your backyard right it's a little more difficult for me to look out the window in the back of my (laughs) place and say yeah i got got a bunch of junk back there yeah and um 
So speaking of, uh, you know, evaluating this roster and improvement, let's talk about the quarterback position. And, and you brought it up that you you feel that they're probably going to be drafting a, a quarterback this year. And it, it certainly seems to me to be trending that way, especially if they have the number one pick, I guess, number two, if Williams goes one and they're not in love with May, maybe maybe they decide something different. But but I think that's what this wild card has been is this Carolina Panthers pick where, you know, now if Justin Fields was playing, you know, like a top five quarterback in the league, certainly that 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 would change the conversation completely. But with Justin Fields still being up and down as he's been here at this late in the season, I, I just think if if you're sitting with that pick and having a chance to reset the quarterback clock where you can pay Montez sweat, you could go out. You know, I know you you mentioned in a recent column that, you know, maybe Daniil Hunter, you know, like you can get two or three of these really large contracts and play them out here for the next three, four years with a rookie quarterback and really beef up the roster around it. So to me, it's almost independent of the field's evaluation at this point, because he hasn't knocked your socks off, you know, as at the beginning of December that you just have this opportunity where, and I'll also say this, if you're a general manager and you do decide to trade down again, and you pass that now, you know, we don't know what Bryce Young is. It doesn't look good so far, but you pass on CJ Stroud. And if Caleb Williams and Drake may also turn out and, and you have a pretty good quarterback, you know, kind of you have Jake, an athletic Jay Cutler. That's just that, that's going to eventually cost you your job when you kept that's a, fu- that's, a quarterbacks. Fu- that's a fireable offense. Yeah. Like, you know, Pulse said last January that he'd have to be blown away to use the number one pick a year ago on a quarterback. Obviously, they I think he'll be blown away this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I flip it around to me. And these are my words, not Paul's words, but I think he has to be blown away to want to move forward with Justin Fields because, in my opinion, Bill, you've got to be all in, meaning you got to be ready to talk about a contract extension with him or you got to be out. Like, you, you can't try to play this one down the middle. Yeah, we'll we'll pick up the fifth year option. We want to see more. You're either all in or you're all or you're out. And I just there there hasn't been anything in my mind that would make you say, yeah, it's a really good idea uh, to be all in uh, on him as a quarterback. It just it just hasn't um, come together yet. And there's people out there that think they should continue to uh, build around him. And surround them with talent. And the popular thing that I get anyway, Bill, is like draft Marvin Harrison Jr., which fantastic player, right? Draft a left sure. tackle. Well, here's my counter to that. And, I, and my counter isn't that Marvin Harrison isn't fabulous or that you can't get a great left tackle. My counter to that is, for starters, Braxton Jones isn't the problem on the offensive line this season. Uh, no. can, you get a, can you get a better player than him? Sure. Is he going to the Pro Bowl? Probably not. They need to fix the center position. Like, um, and then if they added Marvin Harrison Jr., like, how's Fields going to get him and DJ Moore the ball? Like, they they don't throw the ball to Darnell Mooney right now, and it's not right. because Mooney isn't open. Darnell Mooney's averaging uh, three and a half targets per game. Eight of his twelve games this season, he has two touches or less. He's had three occasions this season of more than four targets in a game. Two of those were starts by Tyson Bajan. Like, they don't – and he's played 73% of the offensive snaps. He doesn't get the ball. So, 
take this offense, add a left tackle, add Marvin Harrison. DJ and Marvin are going to have to figure out who gets the ball because it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and and that that's where I like. I know a lot of fans were excited for the finish of the Vikings game with the big throw to DJ Moore, and you know after great the fumble throw. and yeah, yeah, it was a great throw. And Justin Fields, yeah, everyone's like he put his stamp down. Hey, I I can make the big throw in the clutch, and, and he proved it. And I, I don't think anyone thought he didn't have that ability. They just hadn't seen it. But at the same time, I sit there if I'm trying to just be a a, a fair evaluator and, and not just keep the pom poms on. Even just the play before, you know, oh. before the DJ Moore play, Darnell Mooney is streaking over the middle, 15 yards down the field with his arm raised. E- you know, EQ Brown is is in the corner, open, you know, and that's before Fields rolled out to the left. I, I know um, on the broadcast they said, well, that was across the field, but he was already there when Fields was still in the pocket. So to me, I still sit there and say he held on to the ball eight seconds, had opportunities and yes, he made the play the next time, but he missed it that the, the the time before, and that's still we're still on in essence the Justin Fields roller coaster. The play hasn't leveled out. Yeah, it's just it's just a you know it's a lack of consistency of of high level quarterback play, and what you get when when he flashes when he pops is is amazing stuff. Like I mean, serious highlight reel material sure. and the um the the physical gifts he's got are off the charts right you, you know you talk about a combination of size strength speed arm talent like it's 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 just it's crazy um but the the total package it it just kind of hasn't um hasn't clicked not not on a consistent basis and i just when when you have a struggling franchise, which no one's going to say the Bears haven't been a struggling franchise, and you're at the very top of the draft in consecutive years, and in the first year, you didn't take a swing at C.J. Stroud, and in the second year, by all accounts, um, it's a pretty darn good draft for quarterbacks. Maybe none of them are perfect, but it's a pretty darn good draft for quarterbacks. I don't even think there's really a conversation that needs to be held, Bill. I I, 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 don't, I I don't think it's a. I don't think this is like some. All right, we blocked off the next uh, week and a half at Hallis Hall for meetings. Like I, I think it happens pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I I I would tend to agree there, and and the one thing, and then I just have one more to ask you. I got to ask you about Jim Harbaugh, but the the one thing about this situation, if they bring in whether it's Caleb Williams or Drake May. You're actually in a, a a pretty good position if you have the right coach in place or offensive it, coordinator in place. Be, it, it, yeah, like it's it's yeah, going to be a solid offensive line if you get a right. center. You're going to have DJ Moore, a good running game, Cole Komet. Like there's pieces where you just plop a, a rookie in and you can have success pretty quickly. I think if the quarterback hits, I, I think that's I think that's a a strong pushback for the crowd out there that says that they why would they rebuild again? I don't view it as I'm with you, Bill. I don't look at it as they're rebuilding if they go out and get a new quarterback. Um, hey, is there going to be uh, some bumpy periods at the start? Uh, yeah, probably, right? There's going to be bumpy guys, periods with fields, too. Yeah, and, unless the guy's a unicorn, there's going to be some bumpy parts. Is there a chance they miss on the quarterback? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's a hell of a chance they miss. Uh, but 
they need to take a swing. And to your point, the offensive line is better. The skill position talent is better. We had a nice discussion about improvements that they've made uh, defensively. Justin was put into a very difficult situation. He's not um, alone uh, in terms of highly drafted quarterbacks. And the spot that he found himself in almost set up to fail um, and through no fault of his own, right? Um, and it kind of is what it is. Uh, it, it would appear that if they do go out and get a quarterback, that the next one will have a better um, starting point. Absolutely. If, if based on nothing more than maybe good fortune for, for that guy. All right. Last thing for you, I got to ask you, because obviously, you know, Jim Harbaugh's name has really started to generate a lot of buzz on, on Chicago media outlets here the last couple of weeks. And and I know anytime there's a coaching change potentially in Chicago, Jim Harbaugh's name is going to come up. It has for, you know, a decade at, at this point. So for for you, do, do you like that idea if, if they decide to go that way? Because I've always heard that Harbaugh really wants to run football operations you know, I don't know if that's true or still true. You know, that's not going to happen with Ryan Poles, assuming he's still here. Is that an idea you like? Because I hear a lot of fans going, I want an offensive-minded coach with NFL experience. There's really only one of those right now available, and that would be Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, unless you're going to bring in John Gruden, right? And uh, yeah. Gruden's got a lot. can't see the McCaskey family doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I don't know if they'll go out for – does George McCaskey want to hear real talk from Harbaugh? I, I don't, and I'm asking a question. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like, because Jim's kind of cut from a different cloth than, sure. than some of these hires that they've made over the last decade plus since George has been uh, in charge. Harbaugh's name's going to be floated everywhere, though. I mean, you're already hearing about it in Vegas. Uh, I talked to a guy last week who thought that that Chargers opening had Harbaugh's name written all over it. If indeed they move on from Brandon Staley, uh, you know, pointing out that Harbaugh had spent an awful lot of time uh, in California over the last 20, 30 years, you know, he was coaching at San Diego uh, before he went to Stanford uh, and he had spent time with the Raiders previously. You know, I, I just, uh, his name's going to be attached to nearly every opening Every year, you know, until he stamps it out, right? Like, like sure. you know, you never hear about, um, I don't know, you never hear Davo Sweeney or, or Nick Saban's name, right? Because they just, you know, I think Harbaugh enjoys it. I think he was, I think he thought he was headed to the Minnesota Vikings uh, two years ago. Sure. That didn't happen. Um, we'll see. Uh, but you make a great point. Like, that offensive guy with head coaching experience that you know what the the ones that are available uh are available because they failed miserably like if you're any good at that right uh, you're cashing checks right now yeah nathaniel hackett is not a is not a coaching candidate this year <laughs> yeah and then, you know i get this like they've got to hire someone with experience and and i push back on that big time bill um and, in terms of head coaching experience like it's this whole notion that the organization is is cheap and and listen the bears earned that for decades but uh, i don't believe that's the case now and uh, i think more importantly they need to hire the right coach like look at how many teams out there right now are playing really well with a coach that where he's at 
he was a first-time hire, okay, our first-time head coach. Like Kyle Shanahan is not in year one in San Francisco, but he's a first-time head coach for the 49ers, right? And right. that guy hit the ground running pretty quickly out there and is running a pretty good operation. So um, I think it's you got to focus on hiring the right guy if indeed that's an avenue uh, they're going to head down. All right. Well, well, there he is. Chicago Tribune's Brad Biggs at Brad Biggs on Twitter slash X. I'm sure you're all following him already. Uh, Brad, thanks for so much time. It was a great conversation, wonderful insight, and uh, you know, good luck the rest of the season. Hopefully they give you some, some fun games to cover. Thanks, Bill. Have a great holiday season. All right. There he is. Brad Biggs, everybody. A great conversation with Brad. It's, it's, it's funny when I try and put together, you know, it's a puzzle trying to put together the guests and, and when they can go on, you got to work around their schedules and everything. I like holding because the bears being who they are. I like holding bigs closer to the end of the season, if possible, because he's got a lot of great insight into the organization. <laughs> Everything is always in flux at the end of the year. You never know what's going on from year to year. So great conversation with Brad. I think he made a lot of, a lot of great points. And, and, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before he came on, this Justin Fields evaluation and the idea of having the number one pick, it, it, it's just the path they're going to take. They're going to move on. I really believe that. Brad believes that. That's just the consensus of smart football for a lot of the reasons I laid out but before Brad came on. And, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to rehash them here. But again, the, the Matt Eberflus thing, I, I like what I hear from Brad. I know it's just his opinion, but, you know, those opinions usually have a lot of, you know, influence of, over people that hear things at Hallis Hall. Brad hears things at Hallis Hall. At hearing that wins won't necessarily save Matt Eberflus, you know, assuming they're looking at the whole picture here. And, and that's where I am. You know, a winning streak at the end of the season here does not excite me for the idea of bringing Matt Eberflus back. So, you know, let's, let's uh, move on here. And let's get to the mailbag. Let's get to some podcast questions because there are plenty. Let's start with Wiki Woo Woo. Uh, he says, could you discuss the chances if we trade the pick again, meaning the, the Carolina Panthers pick, would we get even a bigger package than what Carolina gave us last year, given the league's opinion of Caleb Williams and Drake May? So th this is, I think, what's interesting with this is, Yes, you'll again in terms of a bigger package, it depends on how far they're going to trade down. So, if you remember, if you heard when I had Josh Lucas on and we were kind of talking about you throw away the, the trade chart, you know, that Jimmy Johnson trade chart, you throw it away for Caleb Williams because the idea at that point was that Caleb Williams was going to be Andrew Luck plus and he came back down to earth. He had some, some bumpier games, still flashed a lot of that ability that, that we saw, and that USC team was bad. And, you know, he tried to elevate it, you know, the best that he could, and he he couldn't, and that's fine. You know, Patrick Mahomes, his last two years as a starter at, at Texas Tech, he had a losing record. I don't remember the exact number, but I think he was 12 and 13 his last two years. So you don't sit there and go, well, you know, Caleb Williams couldn't go 10 and 2 with a bad football team. Patrick Mahomes couldn't either. And we always talk about how that's the comp, and that's a brutal comp for Caleb Williams because it's like, well, if you don't live up to Patrick Mahomes, you're, you're not living up to your comp. But stylistically, that's that, that's what it is. So when, when you talk about you know getting this haul, I've heard some people say, well, this Panthers trade is going to give other people cold feet. It's not because as an organization, you think you're trading up for the right guy. 
So you think if you're going to, if the Bears trade back from number one, and, and again, I don't believe that they will, but if the Bears trade back from number one, the haul they could get, I do think would be, you know, if they traded back to nine again, and I talked about this on a previous podcast about what you could get if you traded back. And at the time, the ninth team was the Falcons, who have some talent and do need a quarterback, and basically said if you do almost the same trade, how much you could load up the, the team. But when, when you sit there and say, well, teams are going to get cold feet, well, just change one thing about this Bears-Panthers trade. That the Panthers traded up and took C.J. Stroud instead of Bryce Young. And the Panthers have maybe five wins, right? They're not one in ten. They're five and six with C.J. Stroud. And everything's pointing in the right direction for them. If that's the case, then suddenly the Bears, yes, they have an additional first-round pick, but it's going to be like 13, 14, 15. It's not going to be in that elite spot. The Bears are at four and eight with the fourth pick. They're going to be outside of the Caleb Williams-Drake May area. Justin Fields is playing uneven, and people are sitting there going, they passed on C.J. Stroud. They traded. They have an uneven quarterback. They passed on the franchise quarterback. What are And now the Bears have no path to replace Justin Fields. So one decision, if they trade for C.J. Stroud instead of Bryce Young, that decision completely changes the perception of what the, the Bears and the Panthers did. So again, like you said, I, like I said, you can't say it would be a bigger haul because if they trade back from one to five, that's not going to be the amount that they get that they got for, for from Carolina. It's not, you know, you don't have to make up as many picks. You don't have to make up as many points on the old Jimmy Johnson trade model. So I, I don't think they can get too much more than, than that. Like I said, for example, my Atlanta Falcons trade, again, was Drake London, basically the DJ Moore piece, their future first for the following season, so a 2025 first, identical. And then the, the tweak I did was instead of the current second round pick, I said, let's do a third round pick, but upgrade the 2026, you know, for the Panthers, 2025 second, let's upgrade that to a 2026 first. So you're getting two firsts, but you're not getting that second rounder. You're replacing it with a third rounder. That was kind of my idea of being able to get more for Caleb Williams or Drake May. So yes, I think you can get more, but if I was just being fair here, you can't get too much more than what Ryan Poles was already able to accomplish with, with what he was able to do last year with the, with the trade. So let's get on to some, some more questions here. Uh, at BDiddy34, why did we choose this life? I assume he means his Bears fans because, you know, there's a lot of other things, but it's, it's a family thing, man. It's a Chicago thing. I mean, look, when, and I'm sure we all have this person, right, in our lives, this friend who is a lifelong Chicagoan, suburb, city, doesn't matter, but has grew, grew up, is from Chicago, and they're a Packers fan. You, you know, you have one of these friends. We all have one of these friends. And you sit there and go, you're mad at them. You are angry that they could be from Chicago and cheer for the Packers. And that's what it is. We as Chicagoans, it doesn't matter. I live in New York now, not by choice, but I live in New York now. It is what it is. You know, when, when, when you are born and bred Chicago and, and you're sitting there with your Italian beef and your old style watching the Bears game, that's just life. 
That's what it is. And yes, you wish this team hasn't been incompetent for 30 years. And like I said, I put out a statistic uh, on Twitter. The Chicago Bears do not have a playoff victory against a team with 11 or more regular season wins. So a team that went 11 and 5 since they beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 20. They were 11 and 5 that year. That is the last 11 win team they have defeated. Since then, they are 0 and 9. Why do I bring up 11? Is that some arbitrary number? No. To me, like when you look at playoff teams, if a playoff team wins eight, nine games, they snuck into the playoffs on an odd year, whether they won a bad division or whatever it might be, right? They're not a particularly good team. They're okay. You get to those 10-win teams, they're good. They're pretty good teams, but they're not great. Sure, uh, you know, the, the Giants were 10-6 and six and went on a heater and won the Super Bowl. That can happen. I'm not saying if you're 10-6, and six, you have no chance. But to me, when you start getting into that 11-win range, that 12-win range, that's when you really start looking at a team that had a great season, where you would say, this is a really good football team. So the Chicago Bears, and all the times they've been able to make the playoffs, even when they made the Super Bowl, the Saints that year were not the dominant Saints teams that went 13-3. and That was a 10-6 and Saints team. So they, they just, they don't beat really good teams in the playoffs. And why is that? Because usually, not always, but usually, in the playoffs, the team with the better quarterback wins the football game. And the Bears, as we can imagine, have basically never had the better quarterback in these football games. So let's, since I'm talking about the playoffs, let's go to Jay Cootie of 413. Can the Bears make a playoff run this year? Nine and eight or eight and nine? The last two seeded teams currently have six losses. Well, here's what I'd say to that, Jay. I'd say no, one, because I don't think they're a particularly good football team, and I don't expect them to get to eight wins. They could get to seven, and seven's not going to cut it. But it's not just that they're, you know, they're sitting there with four wins and the other teams have six wins. It's the amount of teams in between them. You know, there's not, it's not like there's two teams that, you know, from the seven seed to where the Chicago Bears are, and you're like, well, they only have to jump a couple teams here. And maybe, you know, if that team struggles or whatever, they, they could get into the playoffs. The problem is when you look at the standings here, so the, the, the Seahawks are, are seven are, are six and six. They've got the seven seed. But then the eighth, Packers, five and six. You know, Atlanta's five and six. The Rams are five and six. The Saints are five and six. The, the, the Bucks are four and seven. Then you get the Bears of four and eight. That's a lot of teams that none of those teams can, can get a little hot and get to nine, 10 wins and the Bears settle at eight. That's the problem. There's too many teams in between them to make a playoff run. And of course, the fact that they're not, you know, a well-coached team. And, and again, I just, I, again, I think they could go three and two. I think they could get to seven wins, but four and one, five and oh, and coming. I don't know. I mean, they're four and four in their last eight. That kind of feels like, and it's a soft schedule. It feels like a three and two finish to me. I'd have a hard time thinking four and one is going to happen for this team, especially you got the Packers on the road. The Packers are going to want to beat the Bears, whether they're in the playoff hunt or not. They're going to play hard. You know, it, you know the, the Browns have an impossible defense. I expect Fields to really struggle there. It's going to be close because they, they're not going to be able to score. But, but that, that's going to be another tough goal. And, and, and Detroit. So they've got enough games here that they, they, I can't see them going on a run 
with some of the teams they have in front of them. How about Chicago Muse? Do you think DJ Moore will break the team's all-time receiving record while he's a Chicago Bear? I'm going to say yes. I don't know if he's going to do it this year. I think the Justin Fields injury did him in because he's averaging, I think, about 101, 102 yards a game when Justin Fields is the quarterback. That works out to, you know, 1,700 yards. Brandon Marshall's got the 1,508, I believe, is the record from Brandon Marshall. He would beat that pretty comfortably. Right now, he's about 500 yards behind Marshall with five with five games to play. So he needs one more big game. He needs one of those nine for 180 kind of games where he can get a little, you know, a few extra yards where he needs to average like 80 to 85 yards the rest of the way. He could he could use one more of those. If he does, I think he could do it this year. But if he doesn't get that huge game like he had against Washington, I don't think uh, that, that he's going to get it this year. But I'm going to keep an eye on it. That's one of the few things I'm interested in here down the stretch. All right, how about Cav Manning? Would you be fine if they kept Eberflus and got a new offensive coordinator? As much as I want a new coach, I think it's more on Getze. Also, it's perfect timing to get things in order, like a new coach who chooses his QB. I'd rather keep Justin Fields and get Harrison and the Penn State left tackle. That's Olu Fashionu. Cav, no, I, I would not. I want Matt Eberflus gone, and I am not in the camp anymore of keeping Justin Fields. I've seen enough, and again, I'm not rehashing it. You know, you, this is a podcast. You're not popping into a radio show. You know, you, you heard what I had to say at the beginning where I'm at with Justin Fields. I want them to move on. I want them to pick a new quarterback. Uh, now, again, if, you know, just talking about your argument, if they keep Justin Fields, I'm more comfortable keeping Matt Eberflus. But if, you know, that's, that's you know, a similar system, keep kind of things stable for Justin, that might be better for his growth. But I don't want Matt Eberflus and potentially Luke Getze or a new offensive coordinator choosing a quarterback. I don't want them involved in the Caleb Williams-Drake May conversation. That's just not anything I want to see. So if Justin Fields stays, I'm more inclined to say, fine, Matt Eberflus, but that's almost more of a dejected, okay, we're settling for mediocrity. That's what that is to me. So no, I do not want to keep Matt Eberflus, and I certainly don't want to keep him if they are picking a new quarterback. How about at Dusty Baylor? Was Dan Feely so bad as a blocker that he couldn't play center the rest of the season? His snaps looked better, and I didn't see him getting blown off the ball, tripping either guard or getting pushed into the QP's face. Yeah, Dusty, they certainly have problems with Lucas Patrick, and he is not going to come back next year. There's just no way that happens. But I'll be honest, when I saw Dan Feeney, I, you know, he screwed up the snap count. I think he was a little overwhelmed. Maybe he'd settle in more. But he had an opportunity, and he did not grab the bull by the horns. You know, Lucas Patrick is not good, but they're fine with Lucas Patrick for the rest of the season as long as Tevin Jenkins stays out there. If Jenkins gets hurt and you got to put Cody Whitehair back out there, that's a tough combination. Cody, as, as we all know, is not the same guy that, that he, he's been, you know, Wish I, I think this is the end for Cody Whitehair in Chicago. I don't know if he's going to continue to play or if he's going to retire. I wish Cody all the best. Good Chicago Bear for a lot of years. You know, was there for their last winning team, you know, in 2018. There's not a lot of guys left from that team. So, I again, I'm fine with Lucas Patrick the rest of the year. But I think a free agent center, I don't think they're going to wait for the draft. I think a strong free agent center, 
I think Connor Williams from Miami is not going to get, you know, stay in Miami. They just have too many guys and they got to make it work. And I think he's the guy that probably slips through the cracks. So I'm going to say Luke Getze or Luke Getze, Lucas Patrick, fine the rest of the year. And then they'll move on and sign a free agent center to, in essence, finish the offensive line that Ryan Poles has built. All right, Hungarian Falcon. Uh, if I had to say who had the best worst case for retention, my order would be, and you please offer your response to this topic. All right, so he's saying he's got these guys. Listen, uh, Getsy, head coach Matt Eberflus, Yannick Ngakwe, Darnell Mooney, defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. He separated them. Justin Fields. There are multiple Jones, so I'm not sure who you're, if you're talking about Valus or, or Justin, but, um, and, and Jalen Johnson. So who, who is the best worst case for retention? All right. Well, one, I'm going to tweak this because Fluce as head coach and defense, you don't, Matt Eberflus is not getting demoted to defensive coordinator. So that, that's not an option. So Matt Eberflus is one person. You get to keep the whole thing. So, in terms of most likely gone out of this group, I'm going to say Yannick Ngakwe. That was a mercenary deal. There was no plan to keep him here long term. They've signed Montez Sweat. Ngakwe hasn't shown enough to really be like, oh, we need to keep this guy around. So I'm going to say most likely he is gone. For Jones, I, I don't know if it, I'll do Valus and Justin. Valus is going to stay, and here's why. Maybe he'll end up on the practice squad, but here's why Valus stays. Because I think Darnell Mooney is going to be gone. I don't think Darnell Mooney wants to be here anymore. So I think Darnell Mooney is going to be gone because he's just not getting attention. Therefore, if you just have Tyler Scott and DJ Moore, and you have to overhaul the rest of your wide receivers, maybe ESP's there, but again, if Luke Getzey's not here, that ESB may not come back, right? There, there's just a lot of guys here that wouldn't necessarily come back with a change in offense. you got to bring in four new wide receivers if you are not keeping Valus Jones. That's a lot to do in an offseason. So I think Valus is back. If you're talking about Justin Jones, then I'm going to say he's gone because of the fact that I think they are going to try and sign a much better interior disruptor. And I don't think Justin Jones is good enough. Jervon Dexter is is now a better player than Justin Jones. Justin Jones has played a lot, but I think that's the end for Justin Jones. So at next point, I'm going to say Luke Getze, because I think if Matt Eberflus is here, I think Luke Getze is definitely gone. And then I'm going to say Matt Eberflus is next, because, again, I think there is a chance Matt Eberflus could stay, and I think Justin Fields is gone. So then I go Flus, then I go Fields, and the last person remaining is Jalen Johnson. I don't think Jalen is going anywhere. I think he gets the franchise tag. And are there any more here? Yeah, there's a few more here. Let's get to a couple more and go with Chris Armstrong. Were all those screen passes called by Getzy or were they RPO? And if they were RPO, aren't there other options in wide receiver screens? So... The game plan, as far as I could tell, and I am not an expert at breaking down passing games, all right? I, I, I can look at a play individually and, and, and look at who's open and whatnot and where you potentially could have ripped it and some of the, the passing concepts and mesh concepts, but 
I don't necessarily, you know, I can't sit there and break down a perfect game plan. But what I do think it was is I don't think Luke Getze trusted Justin Fields to throw the ball into the vacating space of the blitz. And I think that's the best way. And most people think that is the best way to attack a blitz. But I think he thought it was going to be best for Fields to keep it quick and get it away from the blitz where he doesn't get confused, doesn't misread anything, because I think he saw how Fields performed in the first half against the Vikings the first time and decided that that wasn't going to cut it. So he wanted to get the ball out. So I think that was the game plan. Now, there were opportunities for Justin to get the ball down the field. He did miss it. I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. But overall, I think that was the game plan and that there wasn't... Getzy didn't want to push the ball down the field because I think Getzy was afraid Justin would turn the ball over. And I think, again, like I said, that's where this has become a problem. Luke Getzy, I don't think, trusts Justin Fields to run his offense, so he runs this weird version. And that just doesn't work, and that's why this relationship, whether Fields is here or not, one of them, at least one of them, if not both of them, have to go. You cannot have them both here. And let's finish up with the Brian Bayer. What's the weirdest fruit? So I've got one that I had when I was in Australia. I was in Australia, God, 18 years ago. Has it been that long? Man, I'm old. All right. When I was in Australia, they have something called a an Australian finger lime. It looks like a lime, but it literally looks like it's about the size of maybe two fingers together. And, and so it's not so much that it, it looks, because it, it looks, like I said, it looks like a finger lime. But when you cut it open, the fruit inside looks like little clear fish eggs. It, it's not a regular fruit. And it's that it's got a citrusy, kind of a limey, lemon limey taste to it. You know, it fits in that family. But when you open it up, it's bizarre how it looks inside. So if you want weirdest fruit, it's got an odd name, the Australian finger lime, and inside it looks weird. So it gets the title. Google it if you don't believe me. Australian finger lime, the weirdest fruit. So again, this was uh, that's it for this podcast. I was hoping to get two in during the buy, but Brad Biggs' schedule, we had to do this. We recorded this, as I said before, on a Friday, you know, for, for a Monday release. So we'll, we'll get in a quick prediction here. Detroit Lions, I think the Bears are going to lose this one. They'll keep it close. Something in the realm of, you know, 24 to 20. A Lions victory. You know, again, the, the Bears are, are a little uneven. They tough beaten good quarterbacks. I know they had Goff's number last time, but Goff got the best of them. Ben Johnson got the best of them. There's no reason for me to think that the Lions won't play better this time around. They got a lot on the line. They're playing for the playoffs, and, and I just think they, they come out on top. So we'll be back next week. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios.